If you're in the market for a super addictive puzzle game, you have to check out Mini Motorways on Apple Arcade. It's a city planning strategy puzzler with an incredibly satisfying gameplay loop. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today. That's sifter.com.au slash arcade for a free one-month trial of Apple Arcade, and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. New subscribers only, $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. Hello and welcome to Mainstream by Sifter. It's the games podcast where the Sifter team have a chat about whatever games they've been checking out recently from major studio releases to independent games or even micro games. You're listening to Nicholas Kennedy right now, contributing writer to Sifter. And in what I think is a podcast first, a brave new frontier, if you will, we are welcoming a guest. Uh, Chantelle McColl is a Melbourne-based games writer and journalist who has contributed to Byteside, Checkpoint Games, the Explosion Podcast Network, and of course, the recently christened Games Hub. G'day, Chantelle. How are you doing? I'm going quite well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing just perfectly. It's absolutely wonderful to have you on. Um, So... Just to sort of preface our conversation today, I understand you're a little bit of a Metroidvania diehard, which is suitable for today because, you know, we're going to be avoiding killer robots and shooting missiles at doors. And then at the end, it'll turn out that we were both girls all along. That's right. It's the most recent entry in the 35-year-old franchise uh, known as Metroid. It's Metroid Dread. Why don't we jump in? You're listening to Mainstream. By Sifter. Visit us on sifter.com.au. We'll soon be entering CTR's atmosphere. So, Metroid Dread. It's the first console what you plug into the television entry in the Metroid franchise since Other M all the way back in 2010 which was on the Wii. Um, I guess just to start us off, you know, what's your experience? I know I mentioned you were a kind of Metroidvania diehard. What's your experience with the franchise of Metroid and also just like Metroidvania is more generally prior to Dread? Yeah. um, Let me have a little think about this. So Metroidvanias originally were what got me into games writing um, because that genre what they were doing um, with revealing worlds and narratives was really unique. Um, and so I've played a lot of modern Metroidvanias, obviously Hollow Knight, Cave Story, or in the Blind Forest, Blasphemous, Axiom Verge, the list goes on, <laughs> you know. And it's hard to be interested in Metroidvanias uh, without knowing of or at least playing Metroid. You know, the original Metroid was so influential to games in the late 80s with its non-linear structure. 
Uh, so I actually replayed Fusion last week to refresh my mind on the plot and world before jumping back into Dread. <laughs> so for people who haven't ever heard of a Metroid game, possibly, however you've managed that, is uh, you play as a sort of a space-faring bounty hunter character known as Samus Aran, and she uh, just kind of tools around the universe, you know, hunting people. She's got some kind of, uh, you know, uh, nemeses that up, crop up in a lot of different games. She fights aliens and she often finds herself deep in sort of, you know, facilities and the depths of planets and all that kind of thing. But it basically, the beginning of, uh, the beginning of Dread is actually, I think, dealing with a fair bit of lore and a kind of, it's, it's supposed to be the final uh, entry in, in a series that, you know, obviously starts with with Metroid, but as far as mainline kind of narrative entries in the series go, Dread is supposed to be the end, apparently, which is a little bit weird when you consider the ending. But um, yeah, so do you kind of, but just to sort of not get too spoilery, but do you kind of feel like the story or the lore really matters in these games? Does it matter to you at all? Um, I think that for Metroid in particular, like as a franchise, um, the plot has, well, the plot and the lore has always been a backdrop for the exploration and gameplay. Um, but I feel for me in particular, it really, really elevates your experience if you take the time to understand it. You know, I think, um, in particular for Dread, because throughout your playthrough, there is constant callbacks to previous lore, like the Chozos, Samus's DNA, the X-Parasites, that come up not only in cutscenes, but also in the gameplay too. Um, even as simple as when you kill the X-Parasites and their bodies float around in the air for you to absorb, which was originally introduced in Fusion. It's those small little details of lore that Dread incorporates that is really, really impressive and i think going into it and not knowing any of the lore i feel like you would you miss out a little bit <laughs> you mentioned just then that you had been playing metroid fusion which kind of came out almost when the series was sort of in its heyday like it's a pretty celebrated metroidvania game or metroid game more generally jumping from fusion to this and playing them uh, fusion to dread and playing them so closely together what was that experience sort of like? How did that feel pairing the two? Um, I I would honestly, I would recommend anyone to anyone do that. It, I got so much out of it because Dread, when Dread starts, it, it's pretty much like, I don't know, maybe like a week or like the next day since Fusion ends. So it's, yeah, it, the, it's a direct sequel to when Fusion, yeah to when the uh, fusion ends and so the lore and the plot just like keeps going and so you you go from it's weird you go from this 2003 game <laughs> that you know is super 2d really contrasted in style um and the but the lore is is still uh so vibrant and alive and then you go to this almost 2d 3d game almost 20 years later and it picks off exactly where it's where it's left off even though it looks so different and I think it's just it it's really incredible and a lot of the same themes are still uh pulled on uh in Dread as well which I think uh was really powerful they they tried to do a, a couple things that didn't quite work for me but and some things that worked really well so yeah 
it's um it's it's so interesting that you point out that these two games fusion and then dread uh happen within such a close kind of in universe time period to each other because to me dread i'll just get this out of the way like i really like this game i think this game is i think this game is really fun and really good and there's definitely some critiques you could level at it just in terms of like the kind of I don't know the gamer audience that it's entering into now and what people expect from games currently but um I think it's I think it's a tremendously handsome game I think it's I think it's just it pulls something from the time when Fusion came out into 2021 it takes something from 2003 and brings it into 2021 that is kind of this I don't know it's just a video game ass game like it's just it does not <laughs> It just goes for it. And and I think it's from the, and, and the thing that struck me the most when I first booted up the game was just how no frills the whole thing kind of is. You start, you get the, the splash screen, Metroid Dread, you hit A, you're immediately presented with a save, you know, the, the three different saves you could have. And then you're just into it. You get a bit of exposition. You talk to your robot, Adam, a little bit, and then you're just in the world. That elevator leads to the depths of an underground facility. Signal quality is likely to be low. Remote communication remains difficult. Try to connect to the facility's network. It's been such a long time since I played a game that was just like, all right, go run around. Like, go, go yeah. start shooting blocks in the walls. You are just in this map now. Did you have a similar kind of feeling to that or maybe coming from fusion into dread did it feel a little bit more natural or what was that what were the opening hours of this game like for you yeah i mean i remember when i was writing notes as soon as i opened up the game and it it started off with with that cut like exposition cutscene, and it just you know brings you up to speed and tells you exactly what samus is doing and then you are suddenly uh on the on the planet and I was like, that is exactly how Fusion started. That's exactly how all the other games started. It just brings you back to, I guess, the original make of the games, um, which is why, you know, I think that it's going to be really popular with people that have played the original games or maybe are a bit older um, because we're so used to now having, um, you know, a lot of exposition, a very slow opening um, a lot of narrative, and with this, it was just like, all right, we're going to give you three screens of just telling you what's going on, and then you're just going to go. <laughs> and it's just, it's, I personally really, really like it um, within the context of Metroid, but I feel like if another game was doing that, I probably wouldn't like it as much because I, I know they're following a style. Interesting. This is sort of Metroid's turf. Yeah, exactly. You can't, you can't, you can't just throw someone into this alien world um, <laughs> without without explaining it if you're a different game. Yeah. And and I guess and, and and that brings us to maybe a more overarching theme of the game is that Metroid Dread. I don't know about you, but Metroid Dread's hard. Like it's it's a it's a pretty tough game as far as as far as Metroidvanias go. And I mean, I know that games like you know. Hollow Knight and Dead Cells, Dead Cells especially. I mean, like that's a that's also like a run based game where you are supposed to die like a bunch. But I found myself not so much dying against mobs and 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 even even bosses. Well, there are some pretty there are some rough bosses as well. But 
But I think it's more of like the structural expectations that the game has of players when you go into it that feels very hands-off and very sort of, okay, we've told you how to run around, we've told you how to jump and shoot and stand in place and aim and all those kinds of things, figure it out. Like it's literally, here are your tools. You need to go and figure this out. And just sort of explain to people like the, I'm sure people have seen what this game looks like, but you're in a 2D, mostly 2D, well, it is a 2D environment, 2.5D. You got some lovely depth to a lot of the scenes that you find yourself in. But every place is a room with, you know, a roof, walls and a floor. And basically you're trying to figure your way through this place by either shooting through, like navigating through doors or finding cracks in blocks in the environment and you shoot at those with your blaster or you use the myriad of tools that you sort of collect um, throughout the game, whether it be like bombs that you can drop while you're in ball form or I don't know, bigger bombs that you can drop in ball <laughs> form or different kinds of missiles and things like that. And they're all basically keys that are essentially unlocking more of the environment for you to make your way through. And for me, the thing that I struggled with the most with this game was not necessarily the moments where it was expecting me to be particularly skillful when it came to jumping around or shooting things or beating a boss or whatever. It's kind of more the... um understanding of well what does this game want me to do now like i've i'm over here in this corner of the map does it want me to get on that train does it want me to go over here and bomb those blocks and maybe try to get to that spot on the map over there that i know is there but i haven't gone to yet it was that kind of completely hands-off feeling that you have of um like the game just doesn't explain itself to you in those terms which is kind of part of the appeal in the way, and maybe something that people took from the original games that really spoke to them. Did that kind of come across to you as well? That sort of, I don't know, like it gives you everything that you need, obviously, but it's not then going to put a little shiny dot on the map and be like, go over here, you know. Did you have that similar kind of experience? Yeah, I think I, we're, we're getting into my contentious points very early <laughs> um, because I know after I've been reading like a few of the reviewers and I know a lot of people are saying that it's not very guided, um, that it's very hands-off. However, for me, I feel that they found a perfect balance um, because of the way they've kind of structured the map. It means in most cases there really is only one way forward unless you're backtracking for items. And yes, finding the right path can be very difficult. <laughs> I surely, I got lost so many times trying to find a teleporter. It was crazy. Um, But the game, like, has an illusion that it's, like, this completely really open world where in reality it's actually incredibly linear. Um, And I think that illusion in particular is, like, is very, very impressive. Um, And I guess that the other half of that, coming from Fusion in particular... The fusion exploration relies on you finding like whole secret areas that aren't even on the map, like at all. Um, And they can be very frustrating. And a lot of the time it was just random luck that you would find them. Uh, But they've really like paired that back a lot in dread. And so the hidden pathways have mostly been like reduced. And so for me, coming from fusion to this the exploration was actually like a lot more satisfying for me and i was like oh this is great like i don't have to work as hard i kind of just have to walk around for a little bit and then i'll find a teleporter (laughs) 
I also, uh, in terms of the map, map mechanics, I really also liked that when you were in an area on the map, it would start uh, flashing. So it would show that there's a hidden um, upgrade there somewhere. I feel like that took a lot of the guesswork out of the game and made it a lot easier to find your upgrades um, than just having to wildly walk around this like humongous map and trying to find as many as possible. I think I think yeah, you're right. The um, the map mechanics i kind of just like they're very progressive and accessible almost for for everyone if you want to use them or not 100 percent. and i think that maybe the, the the primary thing that most people will run into is maybe an issue when navigating around the world are uh, the emmys these sort of <laughs> um particularly slinky sort of horrible horrible things these robots basically that were sent to the world before you got there and they were scientific research robots, I believe they're able to identify effect- effectively anything in the world. But what's happened before you got there is they've been reprogrammed. They're now a threat, essentially. They're going to kill you like if it's the last thing that they do. And the areas that they're assigned to in the world are very delineated That if you, in the sense that you can run through a door and the Emmy will not th- follow you through that door. And when you are heading into an Emmy area, you know it because the door has this kind of cool digital effect on it that kind of makes it really clear that that you're going into that thing's turf and i don't know about these things chantel i I really i don't i don't know quite what so dread when it was announced with a name like dread i mean ooh, spooky you know it's gonna scare you like it's a it's horror Uh, metroid has always had a thread of horror running through it and that's kind of what i really love about it um you mentioned i think when we were talking before about the um was it like Shadow Samus or kind of the X Samus? Oh, uh, the SAX, yeah. SAX that follows you through Fusion, is it? Yeah. Yeah, and how that, that was implemented into the game for some really effective horror moments. But the Emmy robots are way more freeform. They're AI enemies that move through the space and effectively, it's effectively a stealth section for that you can enter in and out of and you need to head through these areas in order to get to where you need to go. Um. And man, I just hate these things. I just fucking hate them. They were so annoying to deal with. And I think that they were, I don't want to call them a complete failure of kind of what they were supposed to do. Cause I do think there were some moments where they were chasing me through a space and I, and I knew that by the skin of my teeth, I was kind of going to get out, but I could still feel the sort of, you know, this the heart pumping sort of, you know, chase sequence, but I, I just think about the sort of the unpredictability of them didn't actually amount to any kind of meaningful moments. It, it was just me getting grabbed and killed a lot. I don't know what your experience was like with them. Yeah, so I I have a couple points on the Emmys. Um, the first one is, and we, we just touched on that with the horror element of the game, um, is that they really miss the mark with trying to build tension and trying to build horror elements because obviously I remember when I saw them in the trailer and I was like oh this these are going to be scary these are going to be really hectic to try and get away from and I think what really actually let it down was that they were like stuck in this like rigid set area where you knew where they were going to be and then so you go in there and then you're like all right I'm instantly going to put on my cloak 
and I'm just going to walk for a little bit and then I'm going to try and get out. <laughs> like it's very predictable kind of what you have to do. Um, and it takes attention out instead of like, yeah, in fusion when the SAX, you hear them and the footsteps, you hear the footsteps and then you just have to blindly run and try and find somewhere to hide because if they get you, you're just dead instantly. Um, but that's, that was actually genuinely scary. And I see that they attempted to try and do the same thing, but they really missed the mark. Um, the other aspect of that was I felt that there were too many. There were a um, lot. There were There's a lot. Like I think seven of them. Seven, and you you only ver- like verse six of them. Mm. Um, but there's at least like ten bosses in the game, right? And then you also have to defeat six of these robots. Um, I ended up really not looking forward to killing them like I just much preferred sneaking past them I almost wish there was only one that was chasing around you around like the whole game um instead of I guess what you ended up having to do which kind of brings me into my next point of really disliking the 3d scope (laughs) the 3d scope which is oh do you mean when you get the omega blaster yes and you go into that cool over the shoulder aiming down the space yes it was like this weird 2.5 yeah um thing i don't know for some reason i really disliked that (laughs) so just to kind of explain to people what Chantel is talking about when each emmy can be killed and it can only be killed with a particular power up that you get by navigating through the area and finding this particular room with this like armored brain thing it's always an armored brain this is the other thing with the emmys is that it's the same experience every time it's the it's it's they throw they 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 change it up a little bit near the end by giving some of the emmys special abilities like they can stun you or they can freeze you with the freeze ray which drove me absolutely nuts um but you find this armored brain you kill the armored brain and you get this power-up gun that you can use to like essentially melt away their armor plating and shoot him in the head and take him out because you can't kill him with any other item you just have to run away and i and i think it's kind of it's obviously the people that design metroid have looked at the past couple have looked at the past decade of horror games and been like people really like it when you can't kill the monster people really like it when you have to run away with the emmys you kind of when you enter into their world you don't know what you're going to get but at the same time you kind of know exactly what you're going to get you're going to get you are going to accidentally trip its sort of sphere of sensor around it and then it's going to start moving at you with a clip and then you've essentially got a couple of seconds to exit the room or if you can keep at pace you've only got a couple seconds to get out of the space before it catches you and kills you the the only time that i was genuinely like (gasps) like getting a bit scared and dreading actually going into the emmy section was with the purple emmy which was um the pretty much the last one that you have to kill um and it did really capitalize on the tension and i think it's because the area is designed so small and enclosed that you're forced to interact with it like it immediately upon going in it's going to sense that you're there and i died a billion times just trying to get past it and i was like how what how am i supposed to do this because i had been going slow and sneakily the whole time and then i was actually forced to interact with the game in a more like fast-paced way and that made me feel really tense 
Um, and so I feel like that was the one time that I thought the purple, the, the Emmys were actually effective in what they were trying to do for the whole time. But I only felt that in that last part. Definitely. And it's interesting in the moments where you're dealing with the Emmys, if anything, the one thing that they do is really bring home the sort of movement and controls of the game because you're expected to move through their spaces with such sort of precision and speed. But the the controls of this game have been a little bit divisive, let's say. But just to kind of give people an idea of, you know, what what people are talking about when they complain about the controls in this game is like you have this thing where you can essentially like plant yourself in place and aim like around, but there are also expectations that you when in that aiming mode you can like vary the different uh the different things you can fire and it essentially puts people in a situation where they're like contorting their hands around the (laughs) controller in order to and i found myself in moments when the game is expecting me to quickly react to a particular point on an enemy or a particular moment where it wants you to shoot one particular thing and if you cannot remember the recipe of buttons that you need to be pressing in order to make that happen, you, it's it's not going to happen for you. In terms of uh, the controllers, like, firstly, I suffered horrendous cramping <laughs> and pain after playing Dread on the Joy-Cons. And I think it was because, like, frequently you have to use the aiming mechanics and missiles on your bumper, and your hands are just sitting in this, like, very crowded position for for most of the game and so when when your hands finally release it's it's so painful um and i and in terms of what you were saying about if you couldn't remember uh the the specific controls i felt that particularly in the um golzuna boss fight which was the underwater boss fight because you're supposed to use your grapple beam to go up and above the boss except having to remember to grapple beam like and aim, then aim, like aim press the y button don't <gasps> yeah don't hit right bumper though hit right trigger yes! and that makes it blue and then it's a beam and then you'll grab yeah it was it was a nightmare like actually i i think that was the most i've died in the boss fight just because i didn't ever use the grapple beam like at all and so when i was forced to i was like oh wait and in in like such a fast situation i was like wait how am i supposed to do this <laughs> yeah completely no and and just mentioning just mentioning the boss battles in this game i think that they are absolutely a highlight i think that the boss fights in this game are very memorable but very very like tightly designed and tightly con- contained because you have to remember that all of this is happening within you know, a single room of, of a map and, and in this very sort of like archaic world design, which is just showing you like a single 2D space. But the amount that they do with boss, fa- boss battles in this game, especially when you can counter bosses in particular ways and you get these incre- like extremely cool, uh, you know, sequences where like the camera will pull in behind Samus and you can still be firing your weapon though. And I just think that some of that, Stuff is both very cinematic, but extremely satisfying at the same time. And it really is kind of like where the games, as much as we've, as much as we've sort of complained about the nature of the controls, it's almost kind of where they shine the most as well, in a way. They were an 
absolutely a highlight. Oh my goodness. I think as especially because of the like unique aesthetic designs as well, like each boss was so different. Um, and they each have like a really interesting set of mechanics too. You actually have to learn what to do. And I, I love that they were multi-phased as well because then you get these awesome cutscenes in between that kind of just like pull you into this next age and it's really immersive um what i might be the only one that thinks this but i really did not like the quick time events the countering quick time events i think it's because i put like all this time and effort into getting through the phase and then if you miss the counter you have to do it all again (laughs) That's and it was so nightmarish. frustrating. <laughs> just, there's your horror. There's the horror element of dread. Yeah, for you, you miss one X button, and then you have to do that whole part again. You're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> but just to kind of <laughs> close this out, dread is interesting. It's the end of a franchise that took uh, end of a, at least a narrative arc that Nintendo has been playing with for decades. It's it, but it's also for a lot of people, I think quite possibly the first Metroid game that they could maybe care about, you know, in a way, like it's, it's this weird sort of new thing, but it almost feels like it's speaking more to like rusted on fans of the series. Do you think it's a good sort of entry point into the series? For people? I'm in like two different minds when it comes to like recommending people to Metroid Dread. Because in terms of just pretend exploration, I think this is one of the easier entries for for Metroid. Um, however, the combat is really difficult, and in terms of lore, you'd get like a lot out of playing the previous entries first. Um, what I would probably actually recommend is that people play a few different metroidvanias first before picking up the metroid series at all like familiarize yourself with um the exploration and the hidden doors in a way more accessible metroidvania because i feel like if a lot of reviewers are talking about the lack of guidance in dread being difficult then you're gonna find all metroid games like really difficult so maybe an easier metroidvania might be a better place to start yeah maybe one that just at least kind of tells you where to go yeah i feel like i feel like what i talked about before with that sort of invisible hand that is kind of ushering you in the right direction i don't know maybe that's just gamer brain maybe that's just maybe that's just i've played too many video games and i just kind of have a feeling for it but yeah yeah for my salt i'm in complete agreement with you like i i think that i think ultimately and you can give final thoughts just after this. Like, I think ultimately, like this is, like I said at the top, it's an astounding, it's, it is very good. It is a very, very good game. It's extremely satisfying to play. The world is absolutely beautiful. It's hard in a way that usually is just very satisfying because you kind of, you are dishing out just as much damage as you are kind of taking. Like Samus, Samus is a very cool character to play as. And and I just think it's like it's a very good one. If you are a fan, like like Chantel mentioned, of Metroidvanias and you've you've played them all, this is going to be like just beautiful. It's like a beautifully aged wine of of a Metroidvania uh, to check out. It's like it's it, it's up there with the best of them, in my opinion, one hundred percent. Aside from these these few things, which are sort of archaic issues in a way of like it's it's got this historical baggage. The game is absolutely phenomenal. 
Uh, I think they've balanced out a lot of the problems that were in previous Metroids and have made it a little bit more accessible for newer players. Um, I think the style is going to be really interesting. Uh, I wonder if uh, future Metroid games will have this kind of 2.5 uh, 3D visual and really like divorce from that really contrasted, vibrant colors of the 2D games. I wonder where that's going to go. Um, but yeah, I think this is going to, this is the beginning of potentially a new era of how Metroidvania games are made. So I'm really excited. I think Dredd did an amazing job. This is Mainstream. So this has been Mainstream by Sifter. Thank you so much for joining us. What did you think of Metroid Dread? Do you have a hot take? Uh, give Sifter a follow on all the usual spots at Sifter HQ uh, or, uh, or you can join us and discuss your favorite games on the Sifter Discord where you can share your aforementioned hot takes. Just visit sifter.com.au slash discord that's sifter.com.au forward slash discord thank you so much to brian fairbanks from salty dog sounds for composing the mainstream theme music Chantel, thank you so much for joining me this has been an absolute pleasure uh where can listeners get some more of your incisive critical thoughts where are you writing at the moment <gasps> um well you can find my work on twitter the links that is at uh, at cl underscore mccall and otherwise i've got some reviews lined up with checkpoint gaming and explosion network at the moment that'll be coming out soon so yeah great and we've got another podcast called light map where we talk to game developers creatives and people who are doing cool things in interactive media so head over to your podcast player and type in sifter and give us a follow you can get every episode of Lightmap and Mainstream for free. And we've also got a website. So hit it up at uh, sifter.com.au. There are articles, written pieces, uh, videos, and more that you can check out there. And obviously, the best way to support the show is by telling a friend, spreading the good word of our great gaming deeds, if there could ever be such a thing. We've also got merch now. Uh, you can check that out at sifter.store. That's just sifter.store. And... Thank you so much for listening. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Did you know that the original Final Fantasy creator, Hironobu Sakaguchi, made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade, and every level in the game is a handmade, physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing, and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of apple arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism this offer is for new subscribers only $9.99 a month after free trial plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled